or if you move fast uh, and other people are not moving as fast, they may get jealous, right? And so um, my chairman at one point told me, uh, don't, don't let people bring you down. You just keep working and you lift them up. When saving lives is what you do, your standards are anything but standard. In fact, you set them higher than most to deliver results that patients can depend on. You refuse to compromise. We couldn't agree more. We are Edwards Life Sciences, and like you, we believe that good is never good enough. Rising to the challenge of today's TAVR patients isn't just a mission, it's a commitment. And because you set a higher standard, we set our sights on meeting you there. Welcome to the higher standard, your standard. Learn more at edwardstaver.com. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to 2022. This is um, our second episode of season four. And, um, you know, I think I'm back with um, a colleague, a friend, a mentor, uh, someone, um, you know, who we had on the show um, actually in season one. And, um, you know, he's, he's back again um, in season four. And, um, you know, we've obviously stayed in, in touch through the years we've done um, some of uh, our collaborative research together also, and we've uh, really, you know, come to know each other well. Um, my guest on today's show is Dr. Naidu. Dr. Sri Hari Naidu is Professor of Medicine at New York Medical College. He is the Director of the Cardiac Cath Labs and of the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Center of Excellence at the Westchester Medical Center in New York. Um, Dr. Naidu, welcome on the show. Welcome back, and thank you so much for doing this for us at such a short notice. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure to be back. It's amazing that it's been four years. I remember, I think we were the, or at least I was the uh, episodes, maybe uh, nine or ten or ten or a few first few episodes we did, and I thought it was an amazing experience. Uh, I did hear over the years that people have listened to that and have uh, hopefully learned how to you know move through their career, the early parts of their career. So hopefully we'll add to that today. Uh, with this, I think, timely and important discussion. Absolutely. So, you know, the, um, well, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. And, um, you know, it sort of befuddles my mind that it's actually been four years already, like you said, but you were, um, you know, one of the, one of the first um, guests on the show, uh, as you rightly mentioned. And, you know, here we are. And, you know, I think this is episode 62. So it's been a journey for us as well. Uh, but thank you for, you know, your support of the, the podcast and the platform. So our, um, our topic today is, is a tough one, is um, an important one, though, because, you know, I, I do think, and, you know, this is apropos of uh, an important paper which Garima Sharma and colleagues published in Journal of the American College of Cardiology, talking about workplace harassment um, for, you know, women and early career in particular, but workplace harassment in general and cardiology. Um, and, you know, what I want to really talk about um, with you, and, and I, I think um, the reason I, I chose you for this topic is because, you know, you um, would not be shy in, 
in broaching this discussion. And you obviously would, um, you know, hit the nail on its head and be honest about it um, and sort of try and find solutions because, you know, that's the reason why we're having this discussion. It's important to have discussions like these on this platform because we're not about raising or pointing fingers at each other, but really to try to get to the root cause analysis of why these, um, you know, occurrences happen at workplaces amongst our colleagues. So I want to talk to you about professional jealousy. I want to talk to you about bullying at work. I want to talk to you about workplace harassment, uh, you know, as tools to sort of mitigate and manifest professional jealousy. So uh, what, what do you think about that topic, Dr. Naidu? No, listen, I think it's a very important topic. Um, I think, you know, we all go through our careers and we see this depending on where you are, you know, at your institution or in private practice. Um, there's going to be occasions where either you witness this <clears throat> or it forms the culture that you're a part of. And it may be a, a significant detriment to career satisfaction. And it also may be a significant detriment to your own career advancement. Um, and I think it does play into um, leadership aspects because I think many leaders in cardiology and in medicine in general are not used to these interrelationship aspects. We're in a very competitive field. Most people who went to cardiology are used to being sort of king of the hill or queen of the hill. Um, and what ends up happening is that that philosophy in some people turns into bullying and jealousy and finding ways to cut people down as opposed to bringing themselves up. And I think part of this is personalities, how people were raised, how people were uh, you know, shown to succeed. Uh, either through their own success or through trying to find other people's failures. And those things end up broaching into the workplace. Um, and I think the future is going to have to be, how do we manage these? And I think part of it is things that we as individuals can manage. We can manage ourselves and we can try to manage the environment. And we can certainly hopefully hold leaders accountable for the culture that they create, um, you know, so that they're, able to build the skill sets to improve that culture and allow people to, you know, really thrive at work, both individually and as a group. So that's the, you know, I, I completely agree with ACC and everybody else who's in this, um, you know, battle to try to change cardiology, because I think we, we definitely, you know, have a job to do in society, but we can only do that if we're very efficient and very productive as a team. And I, I do think that's, the, that's kind of the way of the future, and it's about time that we addressed it. Those are kind of my you know initial preamble into this. Yeah, no, the no excellent comments, and I'm gonna uh, pick them one by one and sort of take a deep dive. Uh, you mentioned about personalities. Well, first off, you know, um, granted, cardiology is is an extremely competitive field, and I think um, you know, I, I shouldn't say I think I, I know that you know, people who match into cardiovascular disease fellowship programs are top of the class and you know, usually very competitive, have well-rounded CVs and, uh, you know, want to do, I mean, you know, look, not, not saying that other specialties are not competitive or not important, but, you know, cardiology, um, you, know, require, you know, requires a, a certain mindset. And, um, I, you know, so I, it's, it's a great point and a valid comment that you made that, you know, these individuals are driven and want to succeed and want to do well for themselves. Um, and then when you put all these highly competitive individuals together, you know, whether it's a fellowship program or whether it's uh, a division or a department of cardiovascular medicine or, or cardiology within, within the department of medicine, then, you know, how these people interact with each other, um, you know, becomes, um, 
can become challenging. And, you know, as has been shown in, in data, you know, by the paper that I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, unfortunately leads to uh, workplace harassment and bullying. Um, you know, I, I do think uh, these are manifestations of professional jealousy, but you brought up uh, an, an interesting point of how people are raised and, you know, how they are um, shown to succeed. Um, and I think, you know, I do think that's one of, one of the key elements of, of this discussion. And that is, you know, how you uh, see success, how, how you define success, and what success means to you as an individual. Can you, can you extrapolate on, on that a little bit, Dr. Naidu? Because I, I do think uh, that's extremely important for us to discuss and talk about. Yeah, I think in, in everything, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, maturity in a way, which is how do you, how do you make sure that you're, you keep your eye on the prize? All these, all these sayings are about how to not get distracted by everything around you. And, you know, I think one of the challenges is that people know where they want to go. And then what you're talking about is other people trying to cut you down and, you know, steer you off that path. So how do you keep yourself on the path in that environment? Well, one thing, of course, is to make the environment better. Um, and we just talked about that. There's going to be ways to do that, better leadership, better environments, cultural awareness, uh, mitigation strategies, confrontation, you know, all those things. But those take a lot of time. So in the meantime, as that is happening, you still have to find ways to make sure that you can continue to keep your eye on the prize. So that means uh, focusing on you know, where you want to go and trying to be very cognizant of the behavior around you that might be trying to pull you down either directly or indirectly or on purpose or not on purpose. So what do I mean by that? I mean that people will see what you're doing. And if you happen to be doing a good job, and I, I'm a firm believer that somebody, you know, pretty much everybody in cardiology is doing something great and has something that other somebody, somebody else is jealous about, right? So we're not all great at everything, so everybody has talents that are better than everybody else around you, and hopefully you're focusing on those talents and, and moving yourself in that direction, but that'll engender some jealousy. So when people get jealous, they're either motivated internally to try to compete and do better themselves, or they act out that jealousy in ways that are counterproductive for the culture and for each other and for you. And that jealousy uh, acting out could be indirect, what I typically see oftentimes, and I've been at multiple hospitals and I see this, is people will poke fun at the, at the person. They will make sarcastic comments about things that, um, you know, could be funny, but also could be meant and are meant to put that person down and sort of take the wind out of their sails. And if that's done a little bit at a time uh, and multiple times, the person gets demoralized and they burn out and they decide that it's just not right for them or they start buying into that maybe they're not going to be successful. So that's the most common thing that I see in cardiology or in medicine, which is that people are not, uh, are, are gradually chipped down. And it's very sad to see because they put up a fight and they try to keep moving and then they're gradually whittled down um, through all these microaggressions, which is the term we talk about. And that's talked about in a racial and gender aspect, but it's talked to, it can be talked about in many aspects, any types of minor aggressions that, that cause you to eventually lose motivation and derail your career or, or your well-being. 
So I think, how do you get how do you get around that? Well, I think it's important for other people in the environment to confront that and say, "Hey, that wasn't cool," or "I heard that and um, and that is, uh, you know, that's not appropriate in this environment." So this is not the culture I want to set. And but that takes very strong leadership who is willing to confront people in a way that's that's delicate, so that everybody saves face, but that people realize what behavior can and can't be tolerated in the environment. I pride myself on that as much as you know, I think so, because I'm pretty aware of it. And I, I think I have the personality to be able to confront people in a way that is not too challenging of them, but rather basically saying, hey, that's not cool. And I know you're, you know, I know why you did that, but, uh, you know, I think you could do better. And uh, I think if that's said, then, then everybody grows. What tends not to happen is those things are not said. And then under the nose of the, of the leader, these things are all happening behind the scenes and it sets up a situation where there's clicks. And that's the other part of bullying. Bullying is, uh, happens in another way, which is that clicks are set up. So in, in most hospitals, and you see this even in staff, in office staff or in the cath lab or other areas where there's people working together, you'll get people who uh, bundle themselves up into different groups. And either some people join a group where they don't want to be poked fun at so they join the group that's poking fun so they're not they're not on the poking fun upside they're on the side that kind of stays quiet and allows people to be poked fun so that's the silent majority maybe but you know it's not admirable but people do it they want to stay under the radar and then the other side is people in another clique that uh, is trying to do their best job but um, get whittled down and so you know it's hard because the cliques are usually formed by a couple you know um alpha type personalities who you know you're either with me or you're against me and they and and, and that's how they were raised that comes up to how people were raised you oftentimes have some people very mature who as i mentioned you know try to just make themselves better if they see somebody else that's doing a great job like wow i want to do that how can i do that well how can i make myself be able to do that kind of stuff and let me learn from that person let me ask that person how they're doing that and and, uh, you know, and then figure out how to make yourself better and keep on succeeding. And then there's other people who see that and say, well, I'm jealous of that. And so and I can't do that or I won't do that or I'm not going to put the time and effort into doing that. Um, and so I just rather that that person doesn't do that. And so they find ways to do all those aggressions to bring those that person down. So that's the kind of bullying I see. It's usually not bullying like you see on the playground in school where somebody's getting you know, their butt kicked. This is bullying that is passive aggressive bullying, but can be quite mean, um, you know, over time. And uh, this kind of bullying is sad. And, and I, I think it's very important for those of us in, in leadership positions to set the tone of the place. Um, and I've done that in the, in the labs that I've been a part of. Uh, and cath labs are notorious for having, you know, larger than life personalities. So how do you get them all thinking of themselves as a, as a team? where they all benefit from each other rather than uh, a situation where they only benefit if somebody else doesn't benefit. And that's really the trick of getting rid of bullying and harassment in the workplace is showing uh, very uh, obviously how each person uh, uh, in the environment is better off because of every other person in the environment. Now, the last point I'll make though, as a leader, though, is that that only works if everybody is better off with everybody else there. And I do think one thing that's probably... Um, that I'm going to say that's a little controversial is that I think leaders should do a better job of curating who's on their team. 
I think we're very good at hiring. We never fire. Um, and I think unlike, you know, a sports team where, you know, look, you're dragging the team down. We only have a certain number of people for this team. We need to find the best team. That means, I'm sorry, your contract can't be renewed. And no one does that but I, because we're trying to be kind. But the truth is, this is how over time you end up keep creating an environment that may be hostile and toxic because you can't, uh, you have, a lot, you know, many, most, almost 99.9% of leaders refuse to do that kind of a work. I'm not saying that work is easy. There's medical, there's legal ramifications. Hospitals have to be on board. Um, but to create the environment you want, you have to bring in and you have to remove. And I, I don't know any hospital that does that, but certainly, you know, one day if I decide to go down that route, that's the kind of hospital and division that I would create. I, I, so I said a lot there and uh, it's all, you know, kind of, you know, freedom of free range thought right there. Uh, but, um, you know, let me know what, how that resonated with you or whether there's anything else you want to dive into. Yeah, no, no, excellent, um, excellent points. I'm going to start, um, you know, again, parsing these out because, you know, there were some really important points that you, uh, that you shared. Um, my question to you is, uh, as a leader, how do you have that conversation with both the perpetrator as well as the victim? You know, I'm like, you obviously don't want to feel the, you know, make the victim feel that the victim is a victim. You know, obviously there is, there should be victory in any situation in, in which you're made to feel as if you're the victim. And then um, the the perpetrator, uh, you know, obviously is the perpetrator. Unfortunately, um, how how do you balance those conversations, and what what is that? What exactly is the content? of those conversations because I think do you have those conversations with both those individuals in the same room or do you have those conversations separately um, what is the path forward if you have been um, if you've witnessed or you know you've been a recipient of such a conversation in the hallways or in the cath lab or in a workplace setting how do you how do you take the initiative or the lead to sort of mitigate the tension yeah. I mean, I want to say right off the bat, I'm not an expert at this. This is just how I do it and what my thoughts are and how it's kind of worked for me. But I've run a lab for you know 15 years or more now, 16 years now. So a lot of these things fall under the director of the cath lab position if it's done well, um, interrelationship management and managing, dissipating uh, co- you know, conflict. Um, you know, my own opinion on that is obviously we're typically talking about colleagues, people who are, you know, both physicians uh, or both staff, both nurses or whatnot, I typically help with that, you know, staff stuff, but typically we're talking about doctors here. So by definition, they're colleagues. They're at the same level playing field. So when you talk about somebody who was bullied and somebody who was the bullying person, uh, they both they both have to feel like they're on the same playing field. And obviously the bully is pushing the other person down. But the first thing you do with the other person, with that person who's being bullied is you talk to that person that, uh, number one, you affirm that this wasn't appropriate. Number two, you affirm that it wasn't their fault. Uh, number three, you affirm that you're going to, uh, you know, uh, you recognize the problem, that it's not an individual problem, but it's a culture problem, and you're going to um, uh, address it. That's what you do with that person. The, uh, so they feel that someone listened to them who has, is an authority and, is going, and, and uh, they weren't to fault, and something will be done for it. Then um, I typically talk to the other person independently and say, um, if I knew this directly and I saw this directly, then obviously it's firsthand. But if it was, um, if it was hearsay, then uh, our third party, then I'll, I'll say, hey, can you talk later today? Um, and then uh, I don't usually say what it's about, but I'll, when we talk, 
then I'll say, hey, I heard this happen. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on, on, on what happened today? And I'll let that person uh, tell me what happened during the day in their own opinion. And uh, I, I get a sense during that I'm, I'm listening to what they say and I'm also watching how they say it. So this is the emotional intelligence aspects. I want to see what they said. I want to see their interpretation of that. And I want to see their body language in terms of whether they feel righteous or feel like they were trying to trying to bully. Um, I'm going to get that sense. And so I'll talk to the person about uh, if it seems like that was what happened and it was uh, um, above and beyond what we want in this culture, uh, inappropriate behavior, then it is, uh, then we state it as such. This was inappropriate. This is not the culture we, um, this is not the behavior we uh, agreed upon in this department or in this uh, cath lab or wherever you're in charge of. Um, I don't want to, you know, I, and, and uh, I don't want that happening again. You got to be very explicit about these things. And then, yes, then you address why they were doing that. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, you take it as far as it goes, but a lot of that has to do with how emotionally intelligent that person is and how far they can take it. What really helps in those situations, honestly, is the leader has to have the gravitas and the respect of both parties. And this is also where leadership breaks down, which is that people are thrust into leadership positions and they may not be ready. So, uh, you know, I was put in and you were also um, in director roles pretty early. And there's no way I had this emotional intelligence back then. I was scared to confront people. I didn't know how to really do it. I was always in situations with people supportive of me. So obviously, as a leader, you're going to have people who, you know, want you to fail or, or don't want to be supportive of you until they realize that supporting you is supporting them. So, what you want uh, is to have a relationship with everybody there, whether they you know, like you or don't like you or jealous of you or not jealous of you, whether, where they feel that at least uh, they do respect you, whether they say it or not. They do respect you, that uh, you know what you're talking about, that you're good at your job, um, that you're fair, that you're balanced, uh, that you're going to have the conversation with both parties. You're not going to, quote unquote, take sides um, or rush to take sides, but you're also not going to tolerate uh, certain behavior and that also comes down to how what kind of behavior you um, project so I think it's very important for leaders if you're going to have that conversation you better have had the behavior that you're talking about um, that you don't raise your voice you have not lost your st- cool you've uh, been fair you've been uh, your friends as, as you try to be friends with everybody uh, whether they you know quote unquote like you or not so you have to emulate the behavior uh, or you have to project the behavior that you want people to emulate. Um, and if you've done all those things and you're willing to have these conversations, then usually things can dissipate. Now, you may never solve the whole problem because some people will continue to be jealous and continue to act out. And if that happens, that's where, you know, over time you show that there's a track record of that. And I think that those people have to uh, part ways. Um, and again, I don't think people do it, but I think that's the way this is, has to happen. I mean, we can't keep, um, we can't maintain a, uh, a non-hostile culture while you keep hostile people. That's a problem. It's just not possible. So we have to be tougher as a business um, to maintain that, which means administrators have to work with us on that uh, aspect. And, you know, you can't just be fired because you're not bringing in an RVU. You have to be able to be let go because you're not good for the team. And I, I think that that's going to have to happen. Uh, but what I'm talking about before that is ways to um, 
mitigate all that. And I do think that if people think that they're not quite so invaluable and they can't be let go for unprofessional behavior like this, um, you know, then it breeds a situation where they're more uh, blatant about it uh, and carefree about doing those things. Whereas if they know that there's some consequence to this, um, then they will behave better and they will uh, find ways to improve their behavior over time and actually grow later in life, which is obviously, as you know, very hard to do for most people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then what is the conversation you have with the person who, you know, is, is the supposed victim? I mean, I, I don't want to use that word. I don't like to use that word because I think, you know, like victim, victim is how you perceive. No, I mean, I just the target, I wouldn't say victim. It's just the target, the target of an attack. Right. So uh, the conversation is, as I mentioned, is that, you know, you're targeted because there's something about you that is amazing, oftentimes. And so it really is a position of strength, um, uh, to be honest, right? Because bullies are operating from a position of weakness. It's covert weakness. Um, and that's what people don't understand. It's actually the opposite. The people who get bullied, look who got bullied in, high, in elementary school and high school. That's the Bill Gates and these guys, right? <laughs> and look at the people who are the bullies. They're not the most strongest people. They're trying to get away because they're not intellectually, you know, as strong or emotionally as strong. They're, they're trying to find another way to gain strength. And we know that now. And so the first thing is to empower the, the target that there's something there that is uh, upsetting them because they can't do it or won't do it. Or uh, you have a quality that they just can't reach. And, um, and they're refusing to see the qualities that they have that maybe you can't reach. And they're not seeing that everybody has those qualities, but they're just focusing on the ones that you have that they would like to have. And that's, that's driving them crazy. And that's making them act out, act out. So what I would do with that target is talk to them about, well, this is why this person feels that way. And that's not to say you should change that because all that'll do is knock you down, but rather keep going. Um, you know, so the, the conversation with that person is uh, you're doing a great job. Um, you're doing all the things you need to do. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this to my attention. We'll address this. If it happens again, let me know. Um, and, uh, but this is, but keep going. And I've had that conversation because, um, you know, my chief, uh, at one point, not where I am now at a prior institution, uh, I did experience some of this. It wasn't bad. Uh, my type of stuff has been like, we've talked about before. If you move fast, uh, and other people are not moving as fast, they may get jealous. Right. And so, um, my chairman at one point told me, uh, don't, don't let people bring you down. You just keep working and you lift them up. And so, uh, meaning you just keep going. But actually, you know, I took that to mean at that time when I was younger, just keep going and don't worry about it. But truly, there's a second angle, which is lift them up, right? And so it doesn't just mean keep going on your trajectory and, and doing all the great things and they're going to look at it and they'll, they'll rise to your to your level, what they will, what it is, is that you should use your, um, you should use your cloud and what you've been growing and, and obtaining to find ways to share that with others so that they um, see very visibly how your success is also their success. So what does that mean? That means working with them on publications, not just throwing them on, but, you know, including them in that. That means if you have opportunities to do sessions at uh, major meetings, you give other people opportunities uh, because uh, you've been able to, you know, bring that to them. That means you bring things to the institution um, that allows other people to grow at the same time. So, you know, you look for ways 
to succeed um, that also uh, empowers benefits and allows other people to grow. And then if you do that over time, you're, been, you're building a winning ship. And if everybody does that, the ship is uh, build each, everybody's growing everybody else and we all exponentially grow in that situation. And by doing that, everybody's emotional intelligence goes up, everybody feels empowered and feels happy and feels uh, content and, and therefore, and, and feels uh, unique uh, and special. And that way um, they don't feel like tearing anybody else down because they all have their own, uh, their own you know, small hill that they're in charge of. Excellent um, leadership comments there. Um, and let me ask you, let me ask you something which, you know, I, it, you know, it was a question that I, um, I, I thought when you were uh, commenting on what your former, you know, chair told you when, you know, you felt that you were targeted uh, and, you know, that was, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing and, you know, obviously lift others. So, because, you know, lifting others, you know, you, you sort of, in lifting others, you, you, you lift yourself, you find a purpose. Uh, there's a there's a bigger you know mission uh, rather than just you know short term goals of succeeding X Y and Z. But you you mentioned something important and that is keep going. Um, and what I want to dissect a little is that when such occurrences happened to you, um, or if you know you know similar people in in your situation, if if something of this sort happens to individuals. How how you dealt with it uh, at an emotional level, and you know what were some of the what were some of the conversations that you had, you know, with yourself? Because you know those are the most important conversations. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with your own sense of security, right? Like, how well can you self heal? Um, how well can you uh, look at something that happened and put it in the context of why it happened without blaming yourself for it happening? Um, and I think that's the key. A lot of people blame themselves for things that happen. I must've done something wrong to offend this person or, you know, what can I do to make this person like me or love me or happy? It's the same, same stuff we have in personal relationships, right? We have these same struggles. These are personal interrelationships. And, um, I think we tend to fall into the same problems in, in those relationships. So if you tend to blame yourself when something happens, you're going to blame yourself uh, in your personal relationship, you're going to blame yourself here. So I think you got to develop those skill sets to realize that when things happen, um, put them in the context of what percent is your fault and what percent is the other person's fault. Uh, and, and you can't control the other person's fault or the other person's perception or the other person's uh, reality of what happened. But you can certainly control yours. And you can also uh, certainly control uh, explaining what the intention of what you did is. So you know, basically when these things happen, look at it. So what percent of it was your fault? What can you change that could have done, that could make it better the next time of, of your percent fault, not theirs. Um, and then how can you, uh, to the best of your ability, um, show the other person over time, you know, that they were mistaken in, in what, either your intention or, or uh, what you, what you're planning to do for the group or for yourself or for everybody. And, and then, you know, are you if you're asking me do you feel sad or do you feel upset absolutely when these things happen everybody feels upset it's a you know you feel like you know um we've all had this right if something blows up you feel 
insecure, you feel embarrassed, maybe you feel if people saw it, like, oh, are people talking about this? Or, um, you know, it just, uh, it, it, it puts a dark cloud on the day. You just want to get out of there or whatnot. But, um, but the truth is, this happens to everybody, right? So it's not unique. And so people have short memories, you got to move on with your day, and nobody remembers things that, you know, in 15 minutes, you know, later on. Um, and so, I think just internalizing, putting in context, realizing, uh, you know, whether it was your fault, what part of it, what you could have done differently. So that empowers you so that, you know, it's not going to, at least that part of it won't happen again. Um, but then if it's mostly other stuff, then yeah, that makes you feel bad, but then you have to feel that the institution or the environment or the person you told is going to, uh, do something about it. And, and that goes back to what I talked before in terms of that conflict resolution aspect. I mean, obviously, if you have other significant others, you go home to talk about, you know, and, and try to tell them what happened. And, uh, you know, everybody has different coping styles, whether they want to share those things or whether they want to do it themselves internally. Um, you know, that's all each person has their own way of dealing with uh, things that happen that upset them at work. Um, so I think you have to call upon those, uh, those coping mechanisms. Yeah. So, you know, the final maybe eight, 10 minutes I want to focus on. So, you know, great, great, great comments. Thanks for um, a great discussion on a tough topic. Um, I want to focus the, the final few minutes of, of this discussion on what you think is so, A, lacking, uh, you know, at maybe at, at a style level within our, our field of cardiovascular medicine, you know, international cardiology, and, and B, um, what you think could be done to better sensitize you know colleagues individuals professionals within cardiovascular medicine and interventional cardiology or other specialties within cardiovascular medicine um so that we can we can have better workplace environment yeah i think we need more leadership training um everybody wants to be a director without realizing at all how much work goes into being a director there's all those buckets there's quality there's interrelations industry relations there's efficiency there's cost centers there's a STEMI management there's so many things but they all want to be director but have no clue how to do all those things and then they're thrust into those roles and can't manage it and then the place is managed uh you know like lord of the flies so I think we need better leadership training that deals with uh, this aspect, which is how to create a culture. A part of it is how to create a culture that is a growing culture where people can succeed and be efficient and all be part of the team. And if you do all that, then everything rises. The hospital's happier, the staff and the nurses are happier. They don't want to see the doctors fighting. Uh, it just causes them to fight because they start going into different cliques on which team they're on, right? So I think we need that. So we've done tons of boot camps and training and leadership stuff, not leadership, cath lab director stuff, but it all focused on the nuts and bolts of the, uh, the job uh, without, I think, focusing on this aspect. So I think ACC and SCAI uh, probably should have uh, training in this or at least offer training in, in uh, conflict resolution. In, um, and I know I do know actually there's a survey going around about this. So you're going to see it probably. Um, on the quality improvement uh, sky committee, there is a survey that they're tackling this issue of conflicts in the cath lab, at least. Um, I know this, this parallax is larger than the cath lab, but I can tell you that SCAI is looking at this topic. And there, there is a survey that I saw 
that is in um, development. It's probably near completion. But it, it goes through this. So where are the conflicts happening? Why are the conflicts happening? Um, so that we can you can, ch- you can uh, funnel that into some kind of way to, to teach people what to look for. Uh, what are the common things that happen, common strategies to mitigate them and to grow past them? And that all needs to get out there to the, to the leaders in cardiology. Because I think we can be so much more productive if we didn't have this. This is so much, dis- so distracting to the mission and to our own, you know, RVU development and productivity and success as academic or private practice careers. It, it definitely detracts both emotionally as well as, uh, you know, objectively from the job. Um, and so I think it's, there's a lot of waste. This is a waste in the system. It's a lot of uh, distraction that wastes the system and, and makes us fight amongst ourselves. And I think a lot can be gained from that, not just in terms of making our, you know, our jobs better, but also in our ability to organize as a community to, you know, really fight the real problems, which are outside of cardiology or outside of medicine that limit, um, you know, how we can, how effective we can be in healthcare. And we we see that on the global scale right now, that we are a small voice in a healthcare industry. And it's probably because we're all fighting amongst ourselves. So I think, you know, the organ, I think we need to go in that direction because that's what also the pandemic showed us that we need to organize. And the first part of organizing is actually not fighting each other. And so we need to do that within each of the specialties and as a group, all the specialties together, and then as an organized medicine. Um, so I think that's where the future is going, but it starts in the, each of the workplaces. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, you know, I, you know, I wish doctors were a collective, you know, one voice and a uniform voice. And, you know, unfortunately, we're not there yet. But we obviously can aspire to be there. Um, because, you know, from the outside, we are viewed as a healthcare industry, like you said. And, um, you know, there's a lot of infighting and we're not making any headway. We're also not, not making a, a, a rosy picture of, you know, who we are as, um, as a healthcare, um, you know, pr- provider workforce. Um, so, you know, is, are there any, um, I mean, you mentioned boot camps, you know, perhaps with the cat lab stuff or perhaps with the fellows. Uh, but are there any departmental-wide initiatives or actions or uh, programs that you um, that you've run or you aspire to run or you proposed or you know are currently working on, which address this issue head-on? Because you know, again, it's it's a tough topic to broach. It's a tough topic to discuss. But yeah, but it's 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 ubiquitous, um, as you and I know, and it's omnipresent. The data show it. But why aren't we? Why aren't we tackling it more head on? Well, I think it's just happening now. I think uh, you know the women in medicine groups, women in cardiology groups are doing this. I mean, I know at least in the New York ACC chapter, uh, we're putting together a grant with Pennsylvania chapter to look at um, training for women in cardiology about these kinds of negotiation skills or uh, conflict resolution skills and that kind of stuff. So this is the other angle, which is if you're not the leader, but you're you know, on the ground floor experiencing these things, how do you manage through them? So that has to happen. And on the other side, the leadership aspect has to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of light on it now, also because of uh, racial tensions. And, you know, we're not immune to racial things also and to gender problems also. And, you know, we all g- grew up all over the world with our own biases. Um, 
And, you know, you and I are both Indian. Indians have their own biases, too. If you went to India, there's lots of discrimination against uh, other people. And so this is everywhere. And it's going to also be in the microcosm of, of cardiology and medicine and every place else. So these things all play into it. We have to, you know, learn to live together, not not have our biases come to bear. Um, even, you know, what we talked about mostly had to do with just professional jealousy dealing with who's better at something perceived or who's making more money or who's more senior or who's on the publication, who's not on the publication, who gets to do tab or who doesn't get to do tab or all that stuff. But under the surface, there's also all these other things that have to be dealt with, such as sexism and racism and, um, you know, uh, who makes more money and who, who doesn't, who's in the social clique or who's not. All those things are there. And so we have to find a way to, you know, make everybody look at the main prize which is how does everybody do better together when the department's doing great and they're all they don't want to jeopardize that by their own little biases because they're gaining so much more out of the team working together so you know i think the the chapters have to do it acc has to tackle it sky has to tackle it and then as that happens hopefully the house of medicine will will do more like that um and but it's going to take a long time because medicine has been going on for centuries and nobody has broached this topic. Nobody has broached the topic of how people treat each other in the workplace. Um, we've all been you know, looked at as uh, silos of individuals and we just do our job and go home. But um, that, that uh, you know, lattice network we're part of can be brutal. And uh, we, I think the time has come to try to make that better. Otherwise we're gonna lose too many people in medicine. Um, certainly gonna lose a lot of women. We see that all the time. Um, and I think other races will, will follow and other things will follow if we can't nurture that, the environment that, that is better for everybody. Absolutely. Dr. Naidu, thank you so much um, for uh, such a great discussion. Uh, I mean, you raised some incredible points. Uh, I'm going to have to listen to this again and you know, make notes as, as, I'm, um, you know, as um, I'm listening to you because you know, while I was making some notes here uh, to ask you follow-up questions. I think the, the discussion is extremely rich and, um, y- you know, there's a, a lot to learn and obviously a lot to uh, reflect um, as to how we, um, you know, conduct ourselves uh, at our workplace environments and, you know, what we can do uh, at an individual level if we see a colleague, uh, you know, either perpetrating or being the target um, and then, you know, how to just foster a healthy working environment um, as we move forward, um, you know, in cardiovascular medicine, not only scientifically, but also as a, as a society, as, as colleagues. So thank you again for uh, your, your pearls and, and your wisdom. And uh, thanks again for doing this for us. Uh, any closing remarks? No, I just want to thank you for broaching the topic. I will say that I didn't know where we're going to go with this. And you're right. It's not an easy topic uh, to dive into. And most people probably wouldn't want to. Um, uh, but I think that it is important. Uh, I think you're doing a great job here by getting this out there. It'd be nice. I think you're going to put this on Twitter and other places. Hopefully we'll get some comments from people to share their experiences um, in, a, in a fairly anonymous way. Um, but so that we can all grow from this. Uh, and I think it starts with these conversations and hopefully we'll get more. Thank you again. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. 
To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.